Welcome to the Freshman Foundation Podcast, helping you make the jump from high school athletics to the collegiate level and beyond with your host, Michael Huber. Hey, everyone. You're listening to the Freshman Foundation Podcast, a podcast specifically about the transition from high school to college athletics. My guest on this episode is Erica Suter. Erica is a certified strength and conditioning coach based in Tampa, Florida as well as coaching thousands of youth soccer players online. She has worked with kids starting at the elementary level and going all the way up to the college level for the past nine years. Erica believes in long-term athletic development and the gradual progression of physical training for safe and effective results. She helps youth master the basic skills of balance, coordination, and stability, and ensures they blossom into powerful, fast, and strong athletes when they're older. Beyond working with kids, she mentors coaches of youth athletes in her Total Youth Female Athlete Fitness video course and community. Erica is also the host of the Soccer Queens podcast and the co-host of the Girls to Queens podcast. Please welcome Erica to our podcast. Erica, how are you? I'm doing great. I'm very excited for this conversation, and I know we'll definitely get into a, a lot of good insights here. Absolutely. And, and, you know, social media is a funny thing because I was trying to think back how I started to like just follow Erica's stuff online. But I knew that based upon where I'm coming from and watching sort of the things she's putting out that our philosophies on a lot of things are very much aligned, even though we kind of come from different specialties, me from the mental side, Erica more from the physical training side. So Erica, would you just like talk to everybody about how you got into or tell us about yourself just to kind of give some background. Maybe that's better. Well, I started strength and conditioning when I was young. So it wasn't just uh, me getting into it as a career, but I did it as a kid and I fell in love with it. So my mom actually enrolled me in a summer strength and conditioning camp when I was in middle school. And she didn't force me to do it. She just asked me, she's like, hey, here's what this camp entails. You're going to be learning how to lift weights. You're going to be doing speed training. You're going to be going against boys and girls in this group setting. And I was like, wow, that sounds awesome. <laughs> so she didn't have to, to beg me or coerce me into doing it. I just like, yeah, sign me up. Let's go. And I always was a kid who was passionate about not just sports, but just movement and competing and just getting physically better and seeing what I was capable of. And I started to see all the results from that summer camp. I, I did it for many years. I did it all through middle school and high school. And I saw the physical results on the soccer field. I was faster. I was more explosive. I wasn't getting as tired in the second half of the game. I was more conditioned. And I also just felt more confident in my body. And I learned a lot of discipline during that time. And I learned committing to something and not flanking, flaking and not missing workouts. So uh, that's why now that I'm in it today as a, as a career, I'm extremely passionate about not only helping kids with the physical benefits of this, but also the mental benefits. So I played soccer at Johns Hopkins for four years, uh, was team captain my senior year. And we, we won our conference every year I was there. And it was just a, an amazing experience. Continued to strength train uh, in college, after college. I still do it now. And I'm in my 30s. And I feel the, the best I've ever felt more than 
uh, I feel more athletic than I was as a college All-American, you know? So this, this stuff is really powerful and I'm just passionate about it for not just sports, but for life. So I started strength and conditioning back in 2012, working with just a couple of athletes. Uh, back then though, I was focused more on the skill side of soccer. So I eventually made my shift a few years after that to just strength and conditioning because I realized I was part of the problem of early specialization <laughs> and overuse. And mm-hmm. there, there were just so many skills trainers at that time. And that's when youth soccer was starting to get more year round and kids didn't even have like two weeks off in the year. So when they were coming to me for skills training, I was already giving them more reps than what they were getting from, from practice. And we weren't working on the other pieces that were going mm-hmm. to balance weaknesses in their body and help them to just move better and develop these athletic qualities that were going to enhance their soccer playing. So sure. that's why I made the, the shift to strength and conditioning. That's, that's awesome. Um, and, and I want to go back to kind of the first thing you said about enrolling in that, that strength and conditioning class when you're in middle school, right? So it was clear, it's clear from your answer, the way you explained it, that that's something that you didn't have to be forced to be done, but in your work as a coach, your practice, can you talk about the motivations of the young, I think it's mostly young women, but the young athletes that come in, are they the same way? Are they self-motivated or are they being sort of coerced into like, you have to do this or else? Mm -hmm. You know, it's actually, it's a mix. It's a, Mm. it's a mixed bag. And I get a lot of athletes who reach out to me themselves. So high school girls, college Mm -hmm. girls will email me through my website And then on the other end, I'll get parents who are the ones who are like, well, I really, you know, just want my kid to get faster or get, get that scholarship. And Mm -hmm. I, I'm fine with taking those people on, but eventually the kid has to want it themselves. Otherwise, when my sessions start to get hard and they start to go through very challenging stimuli, they're not going to stick with it if they don't have that greater reason to train. And that's, that's something I talk to my players about a lot is you have to have a purpose mm-hmm. beyond just uh, go college or scoring more goals. It has to be connected to a feeling or an emotion. As an example, like they want to feel um, fast and confident when they get on the field or they, they hate feeling like they're just always like tired in the second half. So they have to relate it to a, an emotion and that way they're more likely to stick with my training. But I found now in, in 2021, it's, it's like pulling teeth to get parents to commit to that at minimum two times a week training with me. Um, and I look back to when I was doing this in the early 2000s as a young kid, I was training five days a week. <laughs> we were doing three days strength, two days speed and conditioning. And that's a normal off-season template. <laughs> that's how much a young kid should be moving and working on these movement patterns. And now when people say, well, I can only make once a week with you, I just kind of laugh in their face, you know? <laughs> right. Well, it's interesting because, I, I mean, there's – there's so much to go through there because in my practice, it's sort of the same thing, right? Like the more you do, the more reps you put in, the better you're going to get on the mental side. And a lot of times it's not about fixing a problem. It's about building a foundation and 
getting to a place where you're really being pro, you know, proactive and, and you're protecting yourself and you're, you're trying to build results, but it takes time and effort. And I think that that was something you said that was really interesting. You said you started to see the results when you started training, but it, but it was, it was probably took a while to get there. And so if you're not self-motivated, you may not stick it out until you actually start to see those results. Yeah. And, and that's a big piece of it is the, the self-motivation, that greater reason to train, but also just being hungry to get better and just to constantly improve yeah. yourself. Like when I was doing my camp and like competing against boys who were older than me, I just was like, wow, this is really great. This is really challenging me. But then sometimes I see kids now and it's like, oh, well, if they lose a race or if they lose in an agility game we're doing, they just beat themselves up. And it's like, no, this is good for you. Like it, it's good to lose at times because then you can figure it out next time and, and get hungrier. So it, it really depends on, on the kid's mindset. And as a parent, you can't, you can't force that hunger in them. And I've found that the more parents force it, the less hungry that kid is to reach that dream. And I talk about this with my mom and dad all the time. And they were never mm -hmm. um, forcing me to do things. And that's when my passion for soccer and training grew. Um, had they had done the opposite and been really controlling of my career outcome, I don't think I would have been someone who took initiative or who had autonomy in, in my training. And to that end, I don't think I would be someone who still trains today. I probably would have had a very bitter taste in my mouth if I was forced to do it young. Mm -hmm. Well, I, it, it, it's so interesting. It's, it's almost a coincidence. I posted something this morning on that and I'm a big student of motivation and how do we properly motivate athletes and anybody for that matter, right? But autonomy is such a big part of it, right? You have to feel like you own the process. And if somebody's forcing you to do anything in your life, forget about training, just anything. The initial reaction is like, leave me alone because I don't want you to tell me what to do. And I think what's happening because I have two children and they're both soccer players, travel soccer players. They play most of the year. And what I see from them is like, Hey, when I have some downtime, they'll say to me, like, I need a day off. And I'm like, you're 11, you're 13, whatever. But you know what? Like the constant cycle of practice and all the things that adults make their kids do, like I could see where a kid goes, hey, you know what? Like, I'm sick of this. Like, I just want to be a kid. And I think that's fair, right? So like, how do you balance that with, hey, if you really want to be good, you need to do this. Yeah, that's that's such an interesting point. And I was I was just pondering this the other day as far as like did the parents, I think they feel peer pressured to keep their kid in that year-round model. Um, because a lot of the coaches might bench bench their child if you know they go from they go to gymnastics practice instead of travel soccer and they get punished for it. I think the parents know what's right for the kid, but they're bullied into making these decisions, uh, whether it's by the coach or, or their neighbors, and they're just keeping them in that year round grind. Mm -hmm. And especially for like the younger kids, like elementary, middle school, it's so problematic because during those ages, that's when they develop 
their, their motor skills. I mean, they're, they're like sponges and they might not get injured during that time in that year round specialized model, but eventually like that repetition over and over again, without that free play is going to manifest as an injury in their high school years because they didn't work on their other muscle groups or, or different motor motor skills or uh, being aware of their bodies in space through different environments other than that primary sport. So that's, that's the issue. And that's why I'm so passionate about working with the, the middle school age. I work with a lot of middle school girls and I'm so grateful I do because I want to really help them through this time where their bodies are still learning and then their brains are still learning. <laughs> yeah. As a, as a father of a young girl, I think it's just so important that they have strong role models, particularly female strong, you know, role models. So can you talk about, cause I'm really curious about that working with that age group, that 11 to 14, like what are some of the things that you're doing with them? Not just from a training perspective, cause I think that's important, right? The types of physical training, but like just in terms of motivating them or keeping them focused or the messaging to them. Cause it's such a, a critical time in a young girl's life. Mm-hmm. Well, as far as the physical training, just making sure that we're working on their, their balance, their, their coordination, their, their sprint mechanics, how they uh, decelerate and pump the brakes, then change direction. So just mm-hmm. overall body control, uh, stability, starting to strengthen the, all the muscle groups and just making sure they're, they're getting a variety because with a lot of the female soccer players, they're getting a lot of uh, overuse in like the hip flexors and the quads, but they're not really giving their, their core, their shoulders, their upper body that much love. And if they're not balanced, then they might be putting too much weight on the knee or um, the patella tendon, which is something that gets injured a lot in, in young female athletes. So we're working on just a variety of, of movement and incorporating a lot of fun into the session. And I think the, the fun at this age and just having that positive training environment is so critical for them to fall in love with training and to just be like, wow, this is something I need to stick to. And I look back on like nine years of coaching and I've never had to yell at an athlete. I never want to get to that point. <laughs> and you don't have to as a coach. And I think that's something a lot of coaches uh, don't get. They they feel that they have to constantly yell at athletes to get the most out of them when sometimes that's counterproductive. <laughs> um, especially with the middle school age female athlete, definitely don't yell at them. <laughs> um, shut you, down. Know, you can be strict and you can set your expectations like any coach would, but there has to be that, that fun and that joy and the, the laughter within the session, whether you're doing like a task oriented game or you're racing or you're doing like chase drills or doing like pull up hold competitions, just ma- making it fun, making it competitive has been really critical for this age. And then also just starting to talk about holistic health and having these conversations weekly on, okay, how are you eating? Uh, how's your sleep? Are you hanging around friends who are helping you, you know, stay active and stay healthy? And 
just having like this ongoing discussion helps them because that's when it sticks. We can't just like give one nutrition presentation and think they're going to change their habits. Like with this group, we have to repeat it a lot. But then the parents also have to realize that they play a part in these other pieces because they're only with me a couple hours a week and the rest of the hours they're at their home. So if, you know, if their pantry's uh, stuffed with toxic food, then that's a problem. And all the training with me can't really solve that. So it has to be a family affair with this group as well, not just me as a role model. Right. Totally agree. So can you talk about, I mean, I couldn't agree with you more about coaching. Um, Unfortunately, I think coaches who don't yell are in the minority. Um, Maybe it's a little bit easier when you're in a one-on-one or a small group setting to not have to yell when you're coaching a team. Sometimes that kind of gets a little bit tough, but can you talk about some of the coaches that maybe you had when you were in that age range and sort of going up through the ranks? Like what was the coaching that you got received? What was that like? And kind of how did you respond to that? Mm -hmm. I had great coaching growing up and I am very lucky to say this because not a lot of people can look back on every single coach they had and be like, wow, they were awesome. But every coach I had was just super impactful in their own way. And when I was in middle school, I had a male coach who was a soccer player from Austria. So he was like foreign and just like this really cool guy. And he knew a lot about the game, but he also he was a dad and his daughter was on the team. So back then was that was when like dads were just like volunteer coaching. But since he had played, he knew the game really well. And he knew how to teach the, the technical side and the tactical side. And he really inspired me to practice on my own because I remember uh, after practice one day, he had me stay a little bit longer than the rest of the group because he really wanted to help me with my shooting technique because I was behind in it. Like everyone else had nailed it down. And at age 12, I was just not shooting, excuse me, not shooting how I should have been. And he spent like 15 minutes after practice, just, Hey, get the ball, make contact with your laces. Here's the follow through. Okay. Now do this, practice it on your own every day. And you are going to be better than the current girls on the team. And I like took that to heart and I, I was the type of kid that was like, all right, I'm going to practice this every day. And I did. And I became better than everyone else. And I'm so glad that he like took the time to hang out with me and then hold me accountable and let me know, hey, if you put in the work, then you're going to crush it. And I think that moment really made me realize the importance of self-work. Yes. And I think that that's something gets lost as a parent and as a, as a coach is, you know, there's only so much that we can do right as coaches, because we're only there like you and I, I might be with a kid a couple times a week or once a week. Like that's not enough. Right. Like, and then I send them off with homework and then they come back and say, I didn't do it. And what I'll say is, Hey, that's okay. Like that's your business. Like that wasn't a priority for you, but don't be surprised when the consequence isn't what you want it to be. And so I think a lot of kids now aren't willing to go and just juggle the ball on their own or go in the backyard and throw the ball against the net, right? Like they, they have to be scheduled and sent somewhere to meet with somebody to do something. And I think that that is a real problem, but I think that problem is kind of comes from the adults largely, you know, the adults are making them do so many things and, and I'm guilty of this, I think, at a certain level as a parent, that you don't like, you don't actually encourage them. They, when they're alone, they don't want to do stuff on their own. They just want to go 
play video games like my son or go on TikTok like my daughter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think that's just another layer to it is the like the social media and the tech. And it doesn't make it any easier to focus in and work on something because right. of those distractions. But it, it does come back to, okay, well, what's the environment at home like? Um, mm-hmm. I know like some parents uh, are very adamant about not giving their kid a phone until they're 15. And I'm like, I think that's awesome. I think that's a great idea. And, but it, but it goes against what every other parent's sure. doing. And that then comes in that peer pressure again. So it's almost like you're an outcast if you're doing what's right for your kid, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. and that's, it, it's such, it's such a problem. But if I can just make any suggestion, just own being an outcast. Um, as a parent, as a youth athlete. And if you have a goal, if you have a goal to be good at your sport and play at a high level, then you have to take inventory of everything in your life. And that's, that's something I do with my girls, even my middle school girls, like we take inventory. Okay. How's your nutrition? How's your social media? How's your stress? How's your sleep? Are your friendships good? Like really look at everything and be aware of it and make the necessary, necessary changes you have to make that gets you closer to where you want to go. Yeah, that's great. I think that's really important, right? Because everything in our lives affects the way we perform on the field. And it's not just what's actually happening in that sport specific realm. I think that's really a great way to approach coaching. Um, so I wanted to ask you, so you, obviously you get better in your middle school years, you kind of elevate your game. At what point do you think about college or what point do you start getting recruited seriously? When does that become something that's like at the front and center for you? Mm-hmm. Usually high school. Um, I know a lot of colleges don't really look at high school freshmen, but it doesn't hurt to start thinking about it early and getting really clear on, you know, do I want to go to a big school, a, a small school, a division one, two or three or, or Juco, like getting really clear early on because I have seen a lot of girls get into the recruiting process too late and they miss out on the schools that they wanted to go to because they had already recruited their class. So start starting early and making sure you're going to ID camps. I don't know if baseball does ID camps or like showcases. Showcases, sure. Yeah. So uh, ID camps for soccer, uh, girls who are interested in that university go on campus yeah. like in the summer or um, for a weekend during the year. And it's like, it's almost like a tryout. And then if you do really well, then they might ask you to commit or just follow up with them. So making sure you're going to ID camps where you like really want to go to that school or you have already mm-hmm. talked to the coach or have had some sort of relationship because I used to recruit for Johns Hopkins and work our camps and there would be a hundred girls there and there would be two that I would say could play at Johns Hopkins out of a hundred girls. And that, that puts things in a perspective of how competitive competitive is, but how hard it is to stand out. And a lot of the girls that I picked were girls who I had seen in showcases or who I had already talked to before. Everyone else, I have no clue who you are, unless you like really blow it out of the park. Like then I'll give a look at you, but you have to have some sort of like contact or relationship. Um, And 
I say like really pick the ID camps you want to go to because they're expensive. You know, there's just mm-hmm. another moneymaker in this whole system. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they're, they're expensive and you might be traveling across the country to go to one and it takes a lot of time. So don't just go to all of them hoping someone's going to pick you. Like go to the ones like right. you, where you really want to go to that school. Yeah. It's something that I've been actually working on a lot with the athletes that I deal with because they tell you, this is where I want to go. Well, have you contacted anybody? No. Why do you want to go there? I don't know. Like, you know how many kids are trying to get to that place? Like, you have to be a salesperson for yourself. And, you know, you have to understand, like, what your priorities are in a college selection process. Like, where do I want to go? Why do I want to go there? Who am I? Like, it's like, it's amazing to me for as big of a business as college sports has become, everybody's doing all this stuff, but nobody like understands the fundamentals of like developing a relationship with a coach so that they can see that you stand out and you get on top of the pile. Because if you're persistent, you might not be the best, but they need somebody. And if you're the one that's committed, they're like, okay, I want this kid because they actually are taking ownership of the recruiting process. So for you personally, when you were going through the recruiting process, like what did that look like for you when you were in high school? Mm -hmm. I was actually very late to it. And um, I was looking at several D1 schools. I had offers from University of Maryland, George Washington University, University of Wisconsin, where Rose Lavelle and the national team had went. And now it's an amazing program. But Mm -hmm. I... Those division one schools like wanted me to make a decision like before my senior year. Like I was really late and I was also looking at Johns Hopkins University and I was interested in that school because it was a smaller school. It was actually D3. So I'm like deciding between this D3 school and all these D1 schools. So everyone's like, oh, well, the obvious choice is, you know, pick one of those D1 schools. But I I'm glad I didn't choose a D1 school because I loved the, the size of Hopkins, I love the culture of the team, which is not what people look at. Like you want to make sure you're going to a team where there's no, there's not that much drama or issues going on. Uh, so that's why I chose that team. And I just love the campus and the academics. And I was just looking at the holistic picture, not just looking at, oh, well, it's a D1 school. Like I didn't know anything about University of Wisconsin. It's such an amazing program in the Big Ten now, but like I didn't do, really do my research. But Hopkins, I was like, you know, it kind of ticks every box that I'm looking for, for athletics and academics. So I ended up choosing Hopkins. The coach allowed me to make a last minute decision, which also helped University of Maryland and Wisconsin. They were like, nope, you got to decide tomorrow. I'm like, well, I can't do that. (laughs) So it it was a blessing in disguise. And I also was able to play a lot of minutes at Hopkins. I started as a freshman and then started every game after that and um, contributed a lot to the team. And there were 35 girls on the team. It was, it was a huge Mm -hmm. roster and I'm just grateful I could be able to play. And I know a lot of people be like, Oh, well playing time, whatever. And it's like, no, if you're on a college team and you're traveling that much and you're balancing school and athletics, like, I want to play. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to lie here and act, you know, act like I don't want to play. I, and I played at Hopkins and it was, it was a really fun experience Mm -hmm. and the girls were, were super great. And it's, I'm just glad I I looked at the the bigger picture and didn't just pick, you know, a D1 program, just pick D1. It's a great, well, I mean, obviously it's a great academic school as well. So you have that, that benefit coming out the back end, but you, you hit on something really important that's come up a lot 
when I talk about the process of recruiting and transition is the fit of the school, right? So on one of my first episodes, I had Lindsay Hamilton, who's the head of mental conditioning at IMG. Do you know, do you know Lindsay? I, I don't, but I've heard of her name because IMG is like in Bradenton here. Right. Yeah. Great yeah. program. Yeah. You should, you should meet Lindsay because her story <laughs> is exactly the same as yours. She grew up out West. She was being recruited by all these schools. She was in a competitive travel program where all her teammates were going to D1 schools and she picked the D3 because it was a fit for her. And she's like, nowadays, especially at IMG where everybody goes on to play at college, she's like 98% of the students go to college to play sports. She's like, the kids are so wrapped up in what everybody else is doing and what's going on in social media that they're picking schools based on the name, right? So they can say, I go here, but then they get there to your point and they're spending all this time preparing and working and then they're not seeing the field. And it's the first time in their life where it's like, what the hell am I doing this for if I'm not going to play and I'm spending all this time and energy? It's a really, really big deal. And I think that it's so overlooked, right? Because they're just picking schools based on reputation and not really digging in and saying like, is this for me? Because this is going to matter for the rest of my life, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the, the transfer rate is really high too. A lot of kids are, are picking schools way too fast and then they, they are unhappy with the team or the coach mm-hmm. and they don't like the culture because they discover all that when they get there. So it's, it's really important to do your research and to really interview the coach. Um, of course, they're, they're interviewing you, but like also ask them a lot of questions because it is the next four years and, and transferring can, can be a pain sometimes. So um, that that's important. And then you mentioned the, the social media and it's, it's hard now because you see when kids come in and they make the post. Okay. And they, they put like the, the sweat, the hoodie of where they're going and all that. And it's just like this big announcement and maybe you're not going to a school that you think is as good as them. And, and that's so hard, but it's like, if, if you're going to be that way for a college recruiting decision, then are you really outsourcing your happiness for everything in your life? And are you really like comparing yourself to others for everything in your life? So stay in your lane and just, just focus on your, your own story and and your own situation. Otherwise you're always going to look around and just be unhappy. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, comparing yourself to others is a real, is a real big trap. But yeah. I think, unfortunately, and and I'll and I'll you know cop to this myself is like it took me a really long time to figure that out, well into my adult years. And I think sometimes we just have to learn things the hard way, which is unfortunate, right? Which is why people hire coaches and they hire you know mentors and people to help them through the process, so they don't have to suffer. But even still, like sometimes things just happen. And I think to your point, I think we've gotten to a place in our I'm going to get on my soapbox in our society <laughs> where people just like now transfer, transfer portal, perfect example, right? I'll go there. And if it doesn't work out, I could just transfer because it's easy and everyone's doing it. Okay. But w- w- what happens when you leave and you bounce to the next place and you start all over again? Like it's not going to get any easier, right? Like, so uh, why, are we, why are we doing it? You know? And I think that's one of the things I try to, to really get across to the athletes that I work with is like, Hey, like you got to put the work in and stick it out because if you don't, you know, it, it, you're only, you're only doing yourself a disservice. Right. And so in your case, you pick Hopkins, it sounds like it was the right fit, right? It checked a lot of the boxes that you wanted. What was that transition like for you leaving home, leaving high school, going to play in college? Like 
what did that look like for you as a freshman? It was, it was nerve wracking. Um, I, because I knew I was going to a good soccer school, but also a good academic school. Mm -hmm. And of course, like senior year of high school, you kind of slack and you get, what's it called? Senioritis. Is that what it is? (laughs) Yeah. So I was worried because I'm like going into Hopkins and I'm like, dang, I like forgot how to study (laughs) to work. So I don't recommend people do that. Make sure you take heart classes your senior Mm -hmm. year and fit it strong. Um, that was like one of my biggest regrets, but, um, as far as like soccer, I, stuck with like my strength and conditioning camp the summer before I went, our coach had given us requirements for fitness tests. And I took them very seriously because I, I wanted to go in and play. I wanted to be a freshman starter and I wanted to be in the top five on every single fitness test and just like make a statement during that preseason. So I worked really hard that summer and I wanted to feel confident going in. I also had played pick up soccer all summer with the guys, just free play, but a very hard environment to play in. And I felt like I started to peak as a player as I entered college. And I felt in college, I reached my peak, which was the perfect time (laughs) to reach my peak. Mm -hmm. And, um, that, you know, it, it was a pretty easy transition after that summer finished up because I was in a good uh, mental state for like my physical performance, um, academics. I, was, you know, I, I knew I was a hard worker in school and I would be okay. And Hopkins has great resources. So eventually that like took, took the nerves away. And you also had the soccer team and a lot of us were studying similar, um, classes and we could have study groups. So that, that really helped. But, um, yeah, I think I just tried to prepare my best, uh, that summer, going in. Uh, that's not to say the first semester wasn't hard, um, almost failed calculus admittedly, but it ended up working out. <laughs> well, the fact that you had to take calculus your first semester, that's just cruel. It was, it was tough. And, um, my professor was a really smart man, but didn't speak a word of English. So that was also a struggle. <laughs> <laughs> Freshman. I wasn't even an, I wasn't even an athlete in college. You know, I, I finished in high school. I went to Michigan state that first year, the first semester of college was such a hard transition academically being away from home. And then you throw in the complication of being an athlete competitively where you take up so much of your time. I mean, I'm sure there are advantages to it, right? Socially being with the team, you have a structure, all those things, but it's also a lot to wear, right? In terms of the, the, the responsibility and you're, you, there's no one there to push you other than inner circle and you're there by yourself. You're not with your parents or your family. So um, I guess the question I would ask there, you know, with respect to now, right, to kind of jump ahead to where you're at in your current role, like how are you preparing high school athletes, high school girls, soccer players, you know, the people you work with, communicating with them to let them know that this jump is going to be really hard and this is what you need to do to fit in when you get there physically to, to, to meet the standards of the program that they're going to go play with. Mm-hmm. Well, the, the physical performance side, it's something that is just ingrained in the girls I work with now. And a lot of them started with me in middle school so that mm-hmm. they know this is serious. And I, and I tell them like, when you go to college to play, you're going to have a strength coach and you're going to have to do these strength, speed, and conditioning tests, your coach is going to give you them. And if you want to play D1, the standards are extremely high. Even our D3 test was insane. Like 
I mean, we had a lot of people puking during our conditioning test, but yeah. it's hard stuff. And and even when you come in at your fittest, it's still going to be a grind. Mm. So I, I let them know, like, this is why you guys started doing this young, because you're going to be far more prepared than, sure. than everyone else coming in. And you're also going to make your strength and conditioning coach's job a lot easier because you know all this stuff. So that's, um, th- those are some of the conversations I have with them. And then we do talk about schooling and academics. And that's one thing that is something super, super important because of the amount of scholarships um, that are given for athletics. It's very small percentage, and you probably know the stats on this, but it's meager. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you don't get that, there's a ton of academic scholarships. So making sure you have your academics for that and just Mm -hmm. setting yourself uh, apart from the, the pack. But also your academics are going to last you longer than college sports. So when you graduate, you're you're in the real world mm-hmm. and you can go into a career that you want. So the academics are like the number one. Sure. <laughs> Absolutely. And what I and what I've and I knew this anecdotally, but I'm what I'm hearing a lot now too is is that if you're a good athlete if you can get yourself into a a university, a college, that's kind of a step above where you could be without athletics. It's such a huge advantage, right? To get into a better school, to take advantage of that because you're an athlete to use sports to get an education versus the opposite, right? You know, Mm -hmm. you know, trying to get a scholarship athletically is really, really hard. Like you said, there's so few out there, even the major sports in division one, unless you're football or basketball, it's all partial scholarships, right? You have to find a way to bridge the gap because not these teams don't have, you know, scholarships for every roster spot. You know, you're only going to get part athletic money, even at a big division one. So yeah, academics are a critical part of it. Um, let's see, where do, where do we go next? So, so tell me about college. So obviously you, you started as a freshman and you advanced up to become the captain of the team those four years. Can you just talk about the progression? Like what are sorts, some of the things that you had to do to kind of make that leap or that, that I'll go up that, that incline to get to where you finished. Just constantly wanting to improve. And I, instead of comparing myself to others, I decided I was only going to compete against myself and even though I felt I was like fast as a freshman, it's like, okay, well, how much faster can I get? You know, I'm only 18. I got to have more speed potential here. So just not being satisfied ever with my, my physical performance and sticking with my speed, strength, and conditioning, still doing my, my ball work several days a week and keep and refining my first touch and my one V one skills and, my creativity and asking the coach for feedback, how can I improve? And just always wanting to do better for myself. And when I found that I did that, then I helped the team. (laughs) So um, that's, that's the one thing that really just helped with my organic progression of becoming like team captain senior year. I was a two-time All-American. I was the leading scorer every season. And um, like, even after like freshman year, I was, I was the leading scorer as a freshman. Like when I went into my sophomore year, I was like, okay, like 
how can I do this again? How can I still be at my best? How can I show up better than I was my freshman year? And even when like, you know, new players had come in and instead of just being like, oh my gosh, like someone might take my spot. It was like, no, like how can I get better for my position? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's the, it's the stereotypical growth mindset. Right. And I, I I couldn't help but thinking like, did, did Erica, did you have any sort of mental training or access to sort of sports psychology resources? Because that's something that I'm constantly butting up against, which is like the growth mindset isn't natural. It's not naturally ingrained in most people. They either have to buy into it and practice it uh, or they never get it right. It's always about the result. It's always about comparing myself to somebody else and not baselining against myself. So did you, did you ever work with anybody on that side of sport? You know, I, I didn't, but I just, I just look back to just starting strength and conditioning young and Mm -hmm. I realized the power of the body Mm -hmm. and how I can, go through challenging stimuli and my body adapts and it gets better, whether it's my speed or my strength or my conditioning. So I just Mm -hmm. realized that like I, my body's so capable. Mm -hmm. So if my body is, then, then my mind is. So I just did like a lot of positive self-talk. I just like reminded myself of what I was good at and what I contributed to the team I, I actually do remember reading a book when I was in high school called The Mental Edge. I forget who wrote it, but that book was very life-changing. I think it was the start of just, you know, the mental side of the game. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, if I can recommend a book for athletes, The Mental Edge and I like the growth versus fixed mindset, I think that's Carol Dweck. That's just yes. such a great Great book. Read. I read that after college when I was in my career, but I mean, there's so many good books out sure there. And, and like you said, like some people need a mentor or just like an outside perspective. And that's, that's great too. I mean, it takes, it takes an army sometimes. <laughs> it does. Um, so uh, th- this is the question I wanted to ask you before it's because this show, the podcast is, is so geared towards helping families understand what it takes to kind of make that transition to college. I think one of the things that stands out for me is, you know, for a lot of athletes, boys and girls, you know, they're, they're not exposed to the types of strength training that you're going to see in college, right? The movements, right? The cleans, the deadlifts, that kind of stuff, the Olympic lifting, like what kinds of stuff are you working with with your athletes to get them ready for when they step into the weight room in college that they're prepared, they know the technique, they understand the movements? Like what sorts of things are you doing to get them ahead of the curve there? All the all the major movements. So you nailed it. Uh, how to deadlift or hinge at the hips, how to squat body weight and then eventually at load, whether it's with a dumbbell or kettlebell. Mm-hmm. Um, since I'm working with mainly like middle and early high school, we don't really get to the barbell training as much. And, there, you know, there's so many schools of thought on barbell training, but you can accomplish a lot with um, using heavy dumbbells and all that. But yeah, just the main movements, uh, pull-ups are also great or just hanging from a bar and making sure that they're really lengthening their spine and just like developing good posture, being able to, to bear crawl and work on coordinated movement patterns for, mm. for running at top speeds. And yeah, just making sure we're hitting every single muscle group and, and every single movement pattern, whether it's uh, with body weight or eventually progressing to load when they're in like eighth grade or, or early high school. 
What would you say is the biggest challenge in teaching those skills to the middle, the middle school and high school age girls? Like whether it's the instructional side, like understanding or just the physical limitation, what's, what's the hardest thing you kind of come up against in teaching those kinds of movements? I think the hardest is just letting them know why it's important. Um, a lot of them are like, oh, well, why do we need to squat for soccer? But then um, if you just explain it in a simple way, hey, th- we need to master this and then we can eventually load and then your quads are going to get stronger and you're going to protect your knees, then they under- understand it. Mm-hmm. And then as far as just like the actual mechanics of the exercise, I would say a lot of girls struggle to get into that hip hinge deadlift position, especially soccer players because they just have that, that usual soccer player, like slouch posture where their heads forward and their shoulders are internally rotated and they're more like quad dominant falling forward on their knees. So they can't really uh, stretch the hamstrings and get the, the hip hips piked back. So that's one of the hardest movements. So usually I have them just pike their hips against a wall, or we might just use um, a dowel and I just put it on their back and make sure that their back is nice and straight and they're getting their hips back in a position I want. But with, with an athlete who struggles with a movement like that, we might be working on it for like six to eight weeks, maybe even longer uh, for the middle school girls, just to make sure that they're getting that down body weight before Mm -hmm. we even begin to add like a band or a a kettlebell or a dumbbell. Sure. Yeah. I I won't, I'm not going to dig into this anymore because I'm sort of a nerd for that stuff just in my personal life. So I don't want to bog people down with the details, but I did ask the question simply to help those families understand that there are certain things that you need to learn and you might not think they're important, but it's going to give you an edge, right? If you know how to deadlift, even just know the, the technique, the mechanics of it going into college and you've never put a barbell on your back because they're going to make you put a barbell on your back in college. If, if, if what I know is, you know, what I've seen, I spent some time at Fordham um, doing some work and they're hardcore lifting, you know, they're doing barbell Olympic lifting. And, you know, if you know the movement, at least, and you put the barbell on your back, you're going to be so far ahead because some kids really struggle with the, the, the strength and conditioning side when they get to college, because they're never exposed to it. Mm-hmm. And, and we have to remember that the, the kids who are playing year round, uh, in a primary sport, they're overusing certain muscle groups. So a movement like the hip hinge is going to help them build their hamstrings and recruit the hamstrings and the glutes together. Mm-hmm. Um, because a lot of soccer players are so interior, interiorly dominated and we need to balance that out. Otherwise we're going to run into knee or ankle issues down the line. And again, it's going to manifest in maybe their high school years if they're not starting this stuff young. Yeah. So as we sort of wind down here on time, I um, I wanted to ask you about the podcasts. Okay, so we have that sort of shared uh, uh, I don't know if it call it a hobby, a shared love, a, <laughs> you know, this thing that we do to promote ourselves and and what we do and and talk about what we think is is valuable and important. Um, can you tell me how you got into podcasting? You know, I just, uh, I started off blogging and a lot, and I was grateful. A lot of people read the blogs mm-hmm. and they, they love the content, but I also thought, you know, not everyone wants to read me 
you know, rant for a thousand words and they would rather hear me in their ears. So I, that was the inspiration behind that. And I know a lot of kids prefer audio over reading. And I also want to reach the youth female and make sure that she's getting the information she needs for her athletic development. So with the the Soccer Queens podcast, it is now only uh, training and sports science and youth uh, development focused. And then I just started the Girls to Queens podcast. And that is more of like the the mindset, the the career, the chasing your dreams and and that that part of it. And uh, we just want to offer a, a different perspective on women's empowerment because we know exactly what girls are hammered with through Hollywood and celebrities and on TikTok. And like, I don't want to say it's like toxic messaging because you know, everyone can choose how to live their life. And I'm not saying, you know, Jenna and I's way is like the right way, Mm -hmm. but we just know the, the messaging that they're exposed to. And we just want to offer a different Mm -hmm. perspective on how to live a fulfilled and happy and and meaningful life. And we're targeting um, young teenage girls and college girls. I love that. Again, as a father to a young girl, like, that's music to my ears because I think one of the things, and I'm and I'm sure that you come across this. It's not just my girls, my boy, any kid. And I talk to parents about this all the time of my clients. No matter no matter how much you love your kids and how much they respect you and trust you, they still don't want to listen to you most of the time, right? So to have another person who's a role model that's not a parent talk to you about what's good for you, what's right and wrong, what's important in living your life that's a really valuable resource, right? To be a resource to some young person who is going to listen to you and respect you enough to say, hey, you know, I'm going to try this because they're saying it. Because as a parent, when you say that, even if they know you're right, they're still going to tell you that you're not right because they don't want to hear it from you a lot of the time. So I think it's really important that you're out there sharing that message and spreading the word. Yeah, we we're definitely excited. And yeah, again, I mean, we just we just know what what people are paying attention to. And Mm -hmm. we want to just offer just a a positive approach and just just to really help girls again, like take inventory of all these Mm -hmm. pieces of their lives, their their nutrition, their physical health, uh, their mindset, their purpose and, and all these things that, you know, they're not they're not seeing on TikTok or they're not even taught these things in school. Like the the education system is like a separate episode, you know? Um, But like me and Jenna were just thinking like, dang, like we learned a lot of things the hard way in our Mm twenties and we didn't learn in, in high school or college. Like we didn't learn how to start a business or how to set boundaries or how to um, find respectful partners or to, you know, see red flags in people. Like we never learned that, but we, mm-hmm. we learned it after the fact, like experiencing it. And now we're just like, dang, we really want to like help girls, like just be uh, proactive about this stuff. <laughs> Definitely. No, it's so, it's so, so important. It's, it, <laughs> it really, I mean, trust me as a father, I, will tell you that it is critical what you're doing. And I think it's really, really cool. So if I had to ask you, if there's one thing that you'd want the listeners to know, the families to know um, about what they're going to go through, through high school and college, or what it is that you do, if there's, if you had to pick one thing that's really important, what would you say it is? 
I mean, in, in both, like you're go- if you're an athlete or a student athlete, you're going to fail a lot <laughs> and that's okay. And it's just all about taking that failure and just doing better next time. And I always will reinforce this message, but take a look at your life and every piece to it. And if it's serving your goals and mm-hmm. helping you to in, improve each day, because if you're not self-aware, then you have no clue what you're doing. That's right. <laughs> like, it, and, and, you know, fo- phones and social media and look, looking outside at others is like really taking people away from themselves. So it's important to come back to yourself. Like, what do you need right now? Correct. Yeah, I'm a I'm a huge proponent of it. I coach that way, and I, I when I'm working with athletes, the usually the first thing I do with them is I ask them to learn to start meditating for yeah. five minutes a day. Super simple. It's not a big time commitment, but unless you're self aware and you understand what you're thinking and feeling, it's going to be really hard to make changes for the right reasons because you don't really understand who you are as a person. And that's something I learned in my 30s. Well you know what, if a 15, 16, 17-year-old kid can start doing that now and be exposed to something that I had no idea what it was when I was that age, like how much further along are they in their journey by just having that skill, right? To, to be more mindful and aware of what's going on so that I can move forward and make changes that serve me best. I think it's huge. And I think to be able to pass that message along is a privilege. So it sounds like you're, I mean, you're doing amazing stuff. I'm glad you came on. It's been a Great conversation. Uh, as we wrap up, can you do you want to just tell everybody where they can find you and social media, your stuff, website, whatever you want? Yeah, my Instagram is uh, Fit Soccer Queen, and then my um, new podcast that's coming out is at Girls to Queen Pod, and there's a separate Instagram account for that. And then my website and blog is www.ericasuter.com. That's so awesome. Thank you so much for coming on and taking the time. I love talking to you. And, you know, if this goes on long enough, maybe we can do it again in the future. That sounds great. We'll have to have you on my podcast. <laughs> that would be amazing if, uh, if you'd have me. So thank you so much. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Mike Huber is the founder and owner of Follow the Ball Coaching, located in Fairhaven, New Jersey. He is a mental performance coach and business advisor dedicated to serving athletes just like you reach their full potential on and off the court. The Freshman Foundation is all about helping you get to the next level. For more information, follow along on Instagram at The Freshman Foundation. Please subscribe. Give us a like on iTunes, Spotify, leave a review, tell a friend. Most importantly, come back in two weeks. Ready to get better.